Great to have you here, though, this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Daniel. In fact, you can jump over to Daniel chapter 7 if you would like. This is the last message in this series called Daniel Character Under Fire. And I hope that you have been encouraged that it is possible to live for God in a corrupt and a eroding culture. Because that's what we see here in the, Dan- in the land of Daniel. We know we've drawn a lot of parallels to where we are here in 2018 here in the United States. Um, the book of Daniel, as you look through it, though, I'll just kind of give you a last kind of setting of it all. Chapters 1 through 6 contains a lot of history. It contains a lot of stories in it that we have been marching through chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter. There's really two sections, though. There's Daniel 1 through 6, and then there's Daniel 7 through 12. And 7 through 12 is kind of the second part of the book that tells about visions of the future. That's what we're going to look at today. We've come through chapter 1 where Daniel and his three friends were taken to Babylon and they resist the temptation to eat the food that's put before them. In Daniel chapter 2, you'll recall that he interprets a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. And as he does, Daniel is promoted to one of the highest positions of influence in the land. And then Daniel chapter 3, the one that many of us resonate with and know very well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not bow down to the idol or the image of King Nebuchadnezzar, the large statue that he built, and God rescues them from the fiery furnace. In chapter 4, we see, again, Daniel's interpreting a dream. Uh, It's a dream about King Nebuchadnezzar, what's going to happen to him if he does not humble himself. He does not end up humbling, humbling himself until about seven years later, and so he crawls around with the wild animals, and is like a wild beast for those seven years until he humbles himself. And then in Daniel chapter 5, we did not get to cover that in this series, but there's writing on a wall from a large hand that is a message to the king, and I'll let you kind of read over that, Um, but again, Daniel was called to interpret that and to speak what God wanted the people to know. And then last week in Daniel chapter 6, we talked about Daniel in the lion's den, but it really was wasn't as much about Daniel in the lion's den. It was about Daniel before the lion's den and all the things that he did. So that was 1 through 6. Now we're looking at 7 through 12. And 7 through 12 goes a little different direction here. We're exposed to a lot of dreams, a lot of visions, a lot of prophecy about the end times. In fact, some people would call it the equivalent of revelation in the Old Testament. So as Revelation ends a story in the New Testament, Daniel's chapter 7 through 12 is kind of like the book of Revelation in the Old Testament. There are these dreams and there's these visions of beasts and rams and goats and these angelic beings appear before Daniel and they talk about kings that are coming from the north and from the south and their interpretation of their dreams that are in there. And in fact, in chapter 8, we see the angel Gabriel appears. Does anybody remember where else the angel Gabriel appears to us? In the story of, of, yeah, Mary, when she's told that she will have baby Jesus, uh, the Messiah of the world. And in chapter 12, we see there's another angel. It's the archangel Michael who is addressing and talking about the end times. And so I've entitled this message, Dealing with the End Times which really has been 
kind of a phenomena in our culture. You, you kind of go back, you know, maybe 10, maybe 15 years, and really there's a lot of end-time movies that are hitting in mainstream America out of Hollywood, movies such as Mad Max, Fury Road, talking about the apocalyptic days, uh, the movie I Am Legend, or, or World War Z, Uh, the book of Eli, uh, even the very popular Avengers Infinity War uh, movie that um, just came out a few months ago. Um, Talking about the end of times and and people flock to these movies because they're curious to see what will happen at the end of times. Well, probably the most accurate depiction of it, though, is the series Left Behind that has been made into a a motion picture as well, but it started out with the books. In fact, let me just see. How many of you have read the series or read some of the books? Yeah, Um, uh, the Left Behind series, very, very popular Christian literature. Uh, And then I know many of you will probably read remember Harold Camping and his end of the world campaign. Remember that one a few years ago? In fact, we had a billboard right on our campus right here that had um, these words up there, and we called the company and said, please take it down. It makes us look like we think this is the end of time, uh, and we do not believe that. In fact, the, 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 the funny part of it was, you see this little writing right up in here? What does it say here? The Bible guarantees it. Uh, the, the one I liked the most, though, was the day after billboards started going up, and here was the funniest one. Uh, yeah, that was awkward, right? Right? Because it says out of Matthew 24, no one knows the day or the hour. That's what the Bible guarantees. Let's be honest about that. That's what the Bible does indeed guarantee. But, but you know, the prediction then was changed to October, um, and it really had some people on edge. And, and if you want to look back on it, Harold Camping was trying to interpret some chapters in the book of Daniel. In fact, he quoted from Daniel chapter 12, which then later he admitted he had no clue what it was saying, but he was trying his best. He should not have been talking about it. Parts of Daniel 7 through 12 can be understood, but there's a lot of parts in there that really are hard to interpret. In fact, in chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, amazing little passage there where it predicts that the Messiah will come riding into Jerusalem, and the prediction was done 483 years before it actually happened. So we can look at some things and say, wow, that was what was predicted. But then there are some other parts of there where we have no clue what they are about. And I won't try and predict what they are about because we just don't know. So here's how I want to tackle this section. Um, We could look at the different areas, and we could look and we could break some things down. In fact, right there in chapter 7, we could even look at the four beasts that are written about in there, representing the four kingdoms of the world. And, And there's a lion with eagle wings, and how we know it represents now Babylon. And there's the bear that represents the Meadow Persia Empire. You have the leopard there that represents Greece. And then you have the slain of the beast that represents the fall of Rome. We could go back and we could kind of pick off some of those things, but what I would rather do And what I think is better for all of us is if I look at 7 through 12 kind of big picture and ask the question, okay, why is this section in here? 
Because if we miss that, we're going to miss the whole point of where Daniel's book at the end goes. So how should we deal with the end of the world? Let's talk about that, that I think is very well addressed in these chapters. In fact, Daniel responds in a way that might be a little surprising to some of you. Look at this verse out of Daniel chapter 7, verse 15. It says, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind, what does it say? They what? They disturbed me. Let me go on. Verse 28 of chapter 7 says, I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, and I kept the matter to myself. The very next chapter, chapter 8, verse 27 says, I, Daniel, was exhausted, and I lay ill for several days, and then I got up and went about the king's business, and I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Now, let me ask you about Daniel. From what you know and what we have seen and what we have read, in Daniel's chapter 1 through 6, would you guess that Daniel would have operated like this? Would you have guessed that Daniel would have been easily upset like this at the end time visions? Probably not, huh? We see him cool. We see him collected. We see him kind of just sticking with it, saying, God, I know my God, and I know that you are here. Some of the songs that we even sang, that would be what Daniel would be saying. And so it's a little awkward to now be looking at this and saying, Daniel is kind of freaking out here a little bit. However, what I can draw from that is, you know what? It's okay and it's normal to be weirded out by the end of times. It's okay, you know, the first time maybe you even read the Left Behind series, you went to bed that night and you kind of pulled the covers up real high over your head. And you're like, okay, I am just freaked out here. I want to protect myself. Yeah, it's okay. Those kind of things and those kind of moments happen. But let's keep them at moments. Let's keep them at a small amount of times because God says you don't have to have that sense of fear about you. That doesn't have to be the way you live. And in chapter 10, Daniel receives a calming word from God. And so that's what I want to look at today. Daniel chapter 10 will be my main passage. And uh, just give you a little chronological order of this, uh, because sometimes it's hard to see how things fit together. Chapters 7 and 8 actually happened before chapter 5. And then chapter 9 takes place sometime while chapter 6 is going on. So um, Daniel and the lion's den. Sometimes not that. But chapter 10 then takes place after chapters 1 through 6. So I know that's a little confusing, but I just kind of want to set the scene because this is now the third year of King Cyrus, who is the fourth uh, king that has taken over the land that Daniel is in. And let's read Daniel chapter 6, excuse me, Daniel chapter 10, 1 through 6. Here's what it says. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. Verse 2 says, At that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. 
I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Basically, this is referring to um, feasting and, and rejoicing, but now he says, I'm mourning over what is going to happen at the end of time. goes on to say in verse 4, On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. And then verse 6 says, On his body, uh, his body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Is there one artist's rendition of what that imagery may have looked like? Um, I think it's coming up here on the screen. Thank you. Um, But it's interesting to see the description of how his voice was heard. And, you know, Pastor Scott talked about kind of large crowds in Colorado and and, and 49ers. Um, Kind of if you've ever been in one of those games, you'll know that the crowds kind of are are at a low. And then when a good play happens, they'll kind of rise. And you can hear the multitude. You can hear people talking. There's a buzz and there's a hum that's in a stadium. And he says, that's how the voice sounded from this God, man, angelic being. And we don't know if it was an angel. We don't know if it was a pre-incarnate Jesus. Some theologians believe that. Um, But this man, this being, is talking to Daniel. And as he talks with Daniel, Daniel passes out. He's like, whoa, this is too much for me. But he begins then to explain, as Daniel awakens again, some of the future events to Daniel. And he says in verse 15, he says this. He says, "While while he was saying this to me, I bowed my face towards the ground, and I was speechless. And verse 16 goes on, and it says, Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth, and I began to speak. And I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. And you ever felt like that? Maybe you've walked in here today and you don't know where your future is headed and it may be tomorrow that you don't know if you'll have your job or you don't know about your health or you don't know about something that's dealing with a relationship that you are in or with your children or your grandchildren or an aging parent. You just don't know where the future leads and so you feel that same type of helpless. Maybe it's this general just kind of feeling about the fears of the end of the world and when those things are going to come about. Daniel then receives a word in verses 18 and 19. And this is where I want to camp out. In verses 18 and 19, here's what it says. It says, again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength, saying, do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed. Peace. Be strong now. Be strong. And so what I want to do is I want to use that verse right there to give all of us a sense of encouragement for what fearful times may bring us in the future. And so let me just write, you have your outline there in front of you, just want to fill in the blanks. Here they come. Number one, the first encouragement here is do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
You know, a, a form of that phrase appears in every book of the Bible. A form of the phrase, do not be afraid. In every book of the Bible, it's in there. Why? Because there is a lot to be afraid of. Back 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, in 2018 as well. And God's response to us, be it through an angel, be it through a prophet, be it through a messenger, or be it through Jesus, is often, don't be afraid. In fact, in John chapter 14, John says this, or Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You know what the worst thing about fear is? is that it is so limiting. You'll hear some people say, I was paralyzed with fear. It limits you. It doesn't allow you to do anything. It doesn't allow you to move. You you just stay still. It doesn't allow you to give. It doesn't allow you to love. It doesn't allow you to receive love. It doesn't allow you to give love. It's just paralyzing. And some of you may have done all you could just to be here today because you have just been going through something that has just made you fearful hear these words today. They may be directly for you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. There's a time uh, a number of years ago when I was doing the crosswalk service and um, we were going through some changes in the ministry. In fact, uh, one of our worship leaders was stepping out and we didn't have that person to be the next worship leader. And remember my wife and I were talking about that and wondering just kind of what God was up to in the midst of this. And I remember going away on a, on a men's retreat. We would have these treats on houseboats up at Lake Comanche. Just had a great time up there. And, you know, we were, had great times of prayer and worship. And, 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 and going forward, though, there was just kind of this thing that was gnawing at me of, okay, God, what, what is this ministry going to kind of be and what's it going to look like? And I remember getting home from that, that retreat And my wife had also been praying. She prays oftentimes on her knees, and God gives her verses and such. And I remember her writing these verses down and posting them up all over our bedroom. And so when I got home, they were up on the mirrors, they were up on the, uh, on the walls, they were up on, on the dressers, and I mean, she was writing some of them even on ink on the mirrors, and, and, and you know, they were all over the place. If I went into the bedroom, I was going to be reassured that, God, you are in this. And some of you need that today. It's why I gave you these verses. These were some of the same verses that my wife wrote up on those walls, wrote in cards. Uh, We still have some of the cards up on our mirror today in the bathroom um, that I'll read. They're over on her side. I need to pull them back over on my side so they're in front of me more. But these verses were some of those verses that are great verses. I say, don't have to be afraid with what God has before you. And in fact, we made it this way we, um, so that you can cut it out. You see little dotted lines. I encourage you to cut those out, put them in places around your home, put them in places that you go often, the refrigerator maybe, uh, or, or the bathroom, or in your car, or something like that on the dashboard, and put those verses before you so that they are great reminders of what God says to you. Don't be afraid. Would you say that with me, folks? Don't be afraid. First thing that Daniel receives, the first word he gets. Second word is this. You are greatly loved. You are greatly loved. In fact, it says in the NIV, O man, highly esteemed. If you have the ESV, it says, O man, greatly loved. And then the New Century Version says, God loves you very much. 
the word beloved is used in the New Testament over 70 times. You know what that tells me? It tells me you're, you're beloved, you're, you're loved, you are loved. In fact, here's an Old Testament verse that many people probably haven't seen for how God thinks about you. Look at this out of Zephaniah 3. It says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. Now watch this part. He will rejoice over you with what? Have you thought about God singing over you? Loving you? Maybe even dancing over you? Some of you who are parents... Do you you remember when you were handed your child for the very first time when they were born from the doctor or the nurse? And they they gave you that child and you had this overwhelming sense of, oh my goodness, I'm responsible for that child for the next, you know, 18, 20 something years. But then also this this incredible sense of, of love that you have for this child. And it wasn't love that was taken away from anything else. It was love that was added to you so that you could, you could love that child. And it was just this interesting mix of emotions. And I, and I thought about this this week. As, as the scripture talks about God as our heavenly father, that God has that same love for us. And he also loves for us to give it back to him in return. He, he wants us to run up and love him. I remember a, a number of years ago when there was this little girl around our church who was always giving me the great big bear hugs. But she was only about this tall. And so she would always run up to me and give me a big bear hug when I would be talking to her parents. And a lot of times I didn't see her coming. And so one time I was talking with her parents and, um, and she was down there and I all of a sudden felt this uh, arms wrap around my legs and I look down there she is she's giving me a big hug and so I picked her up like this and I just looked at her face to face like this and then she took her hands and she squished my cheeks together like this and then she gave me a big old kiss right on the lips that was awkward right But it was her way of saying, I love you, Pastor Brad. And you know, there's probably times in our worship services where you might feel those urges to dance, sing loud, celebrate, be on your knees. I want you to have that freedom to be able to do that. To do, even if it's a little undignified, to say, God, I'm going to express my love to you. Because you have given your love to me in incredible ways. The Apostle Paul, look at this verse. Verse that many people heard many times, but do you realize in Romans chapter 8, Paul's in prison. And look at what God says about him that he writes. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the, what's the word here, nor the what? The future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, is ever going to be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul writes that in prison. He says, God, that love, I feel that from you. And so it's not just about our situations or even our circumstances. It's about knowing God's word and how it speaks to us. And God says, you know what? You're highly esteemed. You are my beloved. You are loved. And so he communicates this to Daniel. And the third thing then that is said to Daniel is the third phrase that's in there. And that's 
peace be with you. Peace be with you. In fact, just the word peace comes to Daniel. Again, a very common phrase that is repeated in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. We see it, probably the, the line most popular in this is Luke chapter 24 when Jesus comes to his disciples after he's crucified. He enters into the room where they're upstairs. They are freaking out. They are fearful for their lives. And Jesus walks to the walls and he says, peace be with you. So Jesus all of a sudden stood right there and says, guys, hey, 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 hold on. Remember, remember who I am. Remember what I told you. Remember what I taught you. My peace needs to be with you. Again, out of John chapter 14, those words are echoed where he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And then one of the most well-known but least practiced verses, get this one out of Philippians chapter 4. We've heard it, but we don't put it into practice where it says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the, what's the word there? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, as our church continues to change and and grow, and even as we've talked about now having a service in here at 8 o'clock and then two services over there in the community center at 9.30 and 11.15, there can be kind of some anxious feelings. There can be kind of some fear of the unknown and what that looks like. Um, You know, I don't know all that that looks like, but I am sure of this. That if we want to continue to reach the city of Stockton for Jesus, that we have to be willing to be uncomfortable. We have to be willing to be adaptable. We have to be willing to try new things. And understand, the message of Jesus will never, ever, ever change. We will always preach that. We will always share that. The gospel, the good news will always be shared. That message never changes. The median, though, can change. Where we meet, the kind of music we do, the style of music we do, how we dress, the the flow of the service, all that can be very adaptable, change, but the message never changes. And so we've gone through some of these changes before. In fact, a few years ago, we went through a change here in the worship center and kind of uh, what was up on stage here. Um, And what I want to show you, though, is a video that we sat down with one of our senior saints. And I want you to watch this video because she has such incredible maturity and Christ-likeness with some changes that had gone on that maybe she wasn't a big fan at of, but she certainly saw the heart of Jesus and she has the heart of Jesus with some of those things. So we're going to take a look now. Um, and I well, hope you'll be actually, it began, I guess, when we first started coming here, and that was about 2000. My husband and I started coming here, and one thing we really loved about this church was the choir. We had a, a full choir with robes and everything. And we had a choir loft up there and a big organ, and um, we loved it. The organ broke and needed more repair, so it was decided to take it out, so we lost the organ. And then one day we came and we noticed the choir was here, but they didn't have robes on. They stopped wearing those wonderful robes. And then after a while, um, the choir started getting smaller, and there was a decision made to remodel, and pretty soon there was no loft, no place for the choir to stand. And when the remodeling was finished, 
we came in and right front and center we have drums. <laughs> so it's like, wow, lots of changes. No organ, no robes, no choir, and here we have drums. Well, you know, it took some adjustment. We adjusted, but I was really impressed. Um, a couple of years ago, we did the walk through the Old Testament. And one of the studies in there, one of the lessons was talking about when the, um, the temple had been destroyed and the, the Israelites had been taken away for years and years and years. Eventually, they were allowed to come back and rebuild their temple. Little by little, the people were allowed to come back and the temple was beginning to be rebuilt. And when that happened, some of the people were just thrilled. They were excited and cheering and praising the Lord and rejoicing. There was another group that were just crying and very sad because they looked at the foundation that was being laid and it was not as grand as the temple they remembered. They remembered Solomon's temple and this temple foundation was smaller and it didn't look to them like it was what they remembered. And so they were crying and there was a sound of crying and a sound of rejoicing all going at the same time. But the Bible said that the noise was so loud, you could not even tell what was the loudest, the crying or the rejoicing. But when we studied this lesson, it made me feel like, you know, that is partially what is happening in our congregation. We have a group of people who look back, we look back and we remember some of the things that we used to have and are sad about that, but at the same time, we have a group of young people that are coming up. When they were babies, they don't even remember when we had a choir. They were here. They didn't ever see the loft. They didn't ever see the organ. And they're thrilled with what we have. And this young group, these talented, beautiful young people, are lifting up the name of the Lord. And they're worshiping and praising and that is the sound. That is the sound that we hear now. We don't hear the sorrow, but we hear this rejoicing of the young people. That's, that's, that's our future. I just can't even hardly tell you because that's our future, you know. What a Christ-like attitude to say, I don't know what the future holds, but I want to be in line with what God is doing in it. And I don't always know why God had opened the door now for us to have the community center. And, and, and I, we've just felt impelled. Staff, through deacons, through leadership here, to say, go, keep walking forward. Watch what I'm going to do. And so I just want to say thank you to all of you who have been a part of that plan. And have given even to our capital campaign to say, yes, let's make that happen, to buy that property, continue to pay down the debt on the children's building as well as that land over there, and to continue to march forward because God is in the future. And things look different in the future than they do now, but we do not need to be fearful of what that looks like. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, there's a fourth phrase that is spoken to Daniel from this man, and that is this. 
Be strong now. Be strong now. And watch what Daniel says when his attention is taken off everything that is frightening around him and refocused on what is being said. Look at what takes place in 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 19. Where it says, when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. And this is not a strength that is from, you know, his own efforts, but a strength that is given to him from God. Much like this verse out of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 41 is an incredible verse that many people know. It's on your cards that you'll have before you this week where it says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And that promise is not just for 4,000 years ago. That promise is good for today. Amen? You know, this became real, I think, to many of us when uh, 9-11 took place. Obviously, this last Tuesday um, was the remembrance of that day on September 11, 2001. Seventeen years ago, that fateful day happened. I was with my men at the men's breakfast, and they were recalling that day. It was a Tuesday back there on September 11, 2001, and also a Tuesday, 2018. And uh, so just got some memories going there, and I got to thinking, you know, um, terrorism has just overtaken so many people's lives. Um, Terrorists want us to live in fear. Um, It's one of those things that, you know, is out of our control. We cannot control what the big world happens and how that takes place. Um, But I I want you to think about a new phrase if you haven't thought about it. Terrorists are people who strike fear into people and terror into others. What we need to be, though, is hopists, okay? Not, not thinking about terror, fear, terrorists, but thinking about hope. Let's be hopists wherever we go, because that's what this man is now giving Daniel. He's giving him a sense of hope. And you know, if you have, been, if you have given your life to Christ, in fact, if you have been baptized, you have the hope of the world already in you. And if you have not been baptized yet, I want to encourage you, take that step right after our service today. Uh, Some people have said, I am ready. In fact, I've been waiting for us to do our first baptisms over here at the communion center. If that's you, or if you thought, you know what, I've just never been baptized, I want to encourage you, come afterwards, jump in. Because your testimony, your story, your declaration of that gives a lot of hope to people who watch it. And the man who's in front of Daniel now is saying, you know what? Let me give him a sense of hope. And again, in verse 18 and 19, it says this. It says, I will strengthen your, excuse me, uh, 18 and 19, Matt. Next verse, thank you, where it says, do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed. This is our theme verse. Peace, be strong now, and be strong. That theme keeps coming over and over and over and over and over and over again. Let me do this. Let me jump ahead in the story to Daniel chapter 12. Because it's the end of the chapter, it's the end of the book. And this last chapter, I think, sets the tone for how we're supposed to view all that Daniel has gone through. And so, it's kind of the message that we hear in the book of Revelation in the New Testament, mirrored here in the Old Testament out of Daniel. So let me just pick up the verses in chapter 1 where it says this. It says, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, at that time he will arise 
And there will be times of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone who hears, uh, whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. In essence, Michael here, now the archangel, is stepping into the story. He talks about the Lamb's book of life that is referenced in the book of Revelation. Now the book of truth, as it said in chapter 10 of the book of Daniel here. And verse 2 goes on. Say, multitudes who sleep in the dust of earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. In fact, this is the first clear reference to the resurrection of the righteous and the wicked, which come, becomes a common theme throughout the whole New Testament. Everlasting life, the only time this phrase is used in the Old Testament is right here. So great foreshadowing of what's to come. Verse 3, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. So there's this reference to how long afterwards, this is I think in verse 7, where it talks about the things that are going to happen, and it says it will be for a time, times and half a time. And you look at that phrase, you think, time and times and half a time. Is that like seven years? Is that three years? Is that three and a half years? What is that? And Daniel's kind of scratching his head at this, and he said, and it heard him say, verse 8, that I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome of all of this be? To which the answer comes in verse 9, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the end of time. In other words, no more details, Daniel. You've got the big picture. That's all you need for right now. Verse 10, beginning of it, says, Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked, meaning the good will be good, the wicked will be wicked, they will be bad until the end of the days, but the days will continue to go on until the end comes. It's a little bit like if you're ever flying in an airplane and you were going, let's say, south on the east coast and you look out to one side and you see this huge storm that's approaching the east coast, you look out to the other side of the airplane and you see it's so pretty and beautiful and the storm has not come there and your plane keeps going, you see what's coming, you see the beauty on this side, you see the evil, you see the good, and yet the plane is still headed for a destination. And that's where we are. We know the good and the evil will continue to happen. We just continue to go forward. We continue to move in that plane until the end of time comes. And then verse 13 ends the chapter where it says, as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. In other words, Daniel, don't worry. There is a resurrection to come. You will be rewarded in heaven. It will come for you. And when it's all said and done, the big idea at the end of the book of Daniel, just like at the end of chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 really takes place, here's the big idea. You can write it down. The big idea is this, that God wins.
Amen? God still wins. The story is held by him. He holds the future. We do not have to be in fear of it because he holds it in his hands. So again, whatever you are walking out into the world today after being here, I want you to remember these words that we picked up out of chapters 18 and 19. In fact, again, it's in chapter 19, or chapter 10, verse 19. And I want you to read it with me, because in reading this, um, remember how it said the multitudes, the voice sounded like the multitudes of many voices speaking together? I want us to hear that multitude. I want us to hear that voice together like Daniel heard it. Like many in a crowd saying the words together. So would you read this with me just as a closing thought? Read it together. Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed. He said, peace, be strong now. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you that even in the midst of hardship and pain and struggle, yeah, we can know how strong you are and how you give that strength and you give that love to us. God, even as we are going about our days this week, if we need that comfort, if we need that guidance from you, Lord, I pray that you will step in and speak, be it through verses, be it through a song that resonates in our hearts. God, be it through your still, small voice that speaks to us. Be it through an entrusted friend. God, would you remind us how esteemed we are, how much you love us, how your peace is available for us to have peace even now. Folks, maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know what, I I don't have that peace. I I, I go through life and fears kind of creep in. I can't chew them away. I kind of live without knowing where I would go even if I died. You know, today may be your day to say yes to receiving God's peace because Scripture tells us that Jesus came to this world to teach us, to show us, to model for us, to love us, and also to go to the cross to die for us. And because He went to that cross to die for us, that we are able to have new life when we believe in Him. We're able to not only have new life after we die, but we're also able to have it now. In this life here, a a, a new energy about us, a new spirit within us, that God's spirit lives inside of us. And so my prayer for you today, if you do not know this one called Jesus, that you would be able to say, yes, Jesus, yes, I invite you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, the wrong that I have done in life, even the fear that I have replaced you with. Lord, I repent of that now, and I turn and I follow you. You know, if you pray just a simple prayer like that, God says, you're in the family. You're part of the kingdom. You'll walk now with me. You'll walk in a different way. And I challenge you after the service is over to tell the friend who maybe brought you or come down and share that with me because we want to help you take next steps and understand what that peace is and how to live with that every day of your life. God, thank you for your reassurance. I pray for anybody in here, even if you've given your life to Christ, that still is holding on to something that lends fear into your life, that today would be a day to say, God, I don't need to live in this kind of fear. I need to live in your joy and what you think of me and your goodness to me, and your blessings on my life. God, thank you for your goodness to us all. We love you. 
It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.